Hello, and welcome to this podcast installment of Theology on Tap. Theology on Tap is a monthly gathering where young adults in the St. Louis area socialize and learn about topics relevant to Catholic young adults. We hope you enjoy this edition of the Theology on Tap podcast. Thank you for helping us build a home for Catholic young adults in St. Louis. All right. Well, I want to start with a story um, about a personal story about me. I grew up in a Catholic household. I had married parents who served the church actively throughout my childhood. I had two older sisters who influenced my spiritual, academic, and athletic pursuits from a very early age and a very fat cat. <laughs> Got to remember him as well. Each of them contributed to my early formation into a contributing member of society. Okay, maybe not Tiger the cat, but I will say that I have a very fond appreciation of the afternoon nap that he taught me. <laughs> my dad was a self-employed locksmith. He worked extremely hard to support our family and shared his talents leading the parish building and grounds committee and he led the parish beer truck, parish picnic beer truck for as long as I can remember. I don't know if I mentioned, but my maiden name's O'Brien. He was an Irishman, so he was given to have his talents there, right? <laughs> Leading the parish picnic beer truck every year. <laughs> my oldest sister, she's the present day aeronautical engineer. She was the star student, the accomplished dual athlete in high school. Uh, I attempted to embody her in many of my decisions growing up, playing the same sports, emulating her, her smarts the best I was able, never quite making it to her level because I'm clearly not a rocket scientist, she is. My middle sister was the happy-go-lucky, never met a stranger socialite of sorts that I admired for her ease that she had in making friends and this natural likability that really petrified me at a young age to attempt. But I would believe any of my domestic family members would agree that it was my mom who introduced us to the true meaning of unconditional love. There was something about her unwavering, selfless way of being, her quiet service that provided me the comfort in knowing I was loved and I was never going to be alone. It was her ongoing sacrifice, self-giving presence that assured me in this world and gave me the confidence to be me. And so it's with the love of a mother that I begin this talk about women's role in the church, because it is through our mothers that we were first introduced to Christ's love. We all have a mother, and no matter our relationship with her, whether it is close or distant, lively or boring, strong or weak, alive or dead, we all owe her a great debt for choosing life. Each of our lives began with the self-sacrificial love of a mother who said yes to bringing us into the world. And while all of our relationships are different, the bond between a mother and her children is one that is incomparable to any other, any other than Christ himself. You see, I can speak so confidently about the love of a mother because I've spent a good portion of the last decade contemplating what that means and what it provides. In 2009, a few short months after I discovered that I was pregnant with my first child, my mother received the terrible news that she had stage four colon cancer. I had something so beautiful inside of me 
and she had something so awful inside of her. Yet we felt a lot of the same side effects. Nausea, we were tired all the time. We didn't really know what was going on, but there was something inside, right? While colon cancer is a highly treatable and curable form of cancer, it's also one of the deadliest in its most advanced stages. Nine months after giving birth to my son, who she literally lived to meet, my mom died at the age of 64. She fought her battle with the silent courage of a warrior, but in the end, I believe she was content to let go. Why could anyone be comfortable with dying at such a young age, you ask? I believe it ties back to something she said to me later in her battle, which ties directly back to her vocation. She said she was able to see each of her three girls grow up to become wives and mothers. She knew her work was done and God was calling her home. I was asked here tonight to talk to you about the nature, vocation, and mission of women in the church. When I agreed, my mind began to race in a million different directions. Outside of being a woman myself, what qualified me to discuss some of the most poignant questions that face our church in the present world about why women can't be priests or how our male-dominated clergy could never truly understand the reproductive rights of women? And then it occurred to me during that reflection, we spend an unhealthy amount of time and energy focusing on what is wrong with our church or how to change what is broken instead of embracing the true, the good, and the beautiful of our faith. Rather than obsess over the alleged shortcomings, why can we not turn the conversation towards our honest witness and trusting that the truth truly will prevail? It's no question our church is facing her own fair share of crisis and scandal at the moment. And the severity of some of those issues we are responding to cannot be ignored or downplayed. We must hold our church accountable and demand transparency and change. But in the end, we also cannot allow the dialogue and the media to shape our own dialogue about the church and all the good that we know it does in the world every single day. Our friends' opinions about the church should be influenced by our everyday actions and witness rather than the six o'clock news. I don't say this to create an enemy of the secular media because from that source we can only get a portion of the story, the headline, if you will, as much as they can squeeze into a 30-second segment or one or two minutes if we're lucky. I honestly don't feel like the majority of our local secular media is truly out to get us, as much as they just do the best they can with a partial story and sketchy sources and a limited airtime they have available to them. As Venerable Fulton Sheen once said, there are not 100 people in the United States who hate the Catholic Church, but there are millions who hate what they wrongly perceive the Catholic Church to be. I'll say that again, there are not 100 people in the United States who hate the Catholic Church, but there are millions who hate what they wrongly perceive the Catholic Church to be. And it's these perceptions that are affecting our church. Let's just consider the data from the Pew Research Center that the percentage of nuns 
N-O-N-E-S, which include atheists, agnostics, and those who say their religion is nothing in particular. That group has increased from 16% in 2007 to 23% in 2014. During that time, the number of Christians dropped from 78% to 71%. And religiously unaffiliated people are more concentrated among young adults, with 35% of them being millennials. The second most common reason adults lack religion behind questioning of religious teachings is opposition of the positions taken by church on social and political issues. But I again wonder, is it the truth that they're hearing or is it just this perception? So why should we allow the media's or anyone else's abbreviated stories influence our friends and family's perceptions of our faith? The best stories are found in a lifetime of service and love that can be witnessed by our simple, everyday actions. We would be surprised how remarkable our unremarkable actions can be to those who matter most in our lives. We are called to be in the world, not of it. That's John 17. But an article I recently read sort of spins that a little bit and says that we're not of, but sent into the world. So as engaged young adults, we must understand that it is our mission to witness the faith. Pope Benedict often summoned the creative minorities, is what he, what he called them. Creative minorities were summoned to engage, but not embrace the culture. He said the church must actualize, be present in the public debate, in our struggle for a true concept of liberty and peace. So as creative minorities, that we are, how do we engage the culture? Kim Daniels is a mother of six. She's a lawyer and also the coordinator of Catholic Voices USA. She wrote in a section of this book, Breaking Through, Catholic Women Speak for Themselves. I don't know if you're familiar with this book, but it's a very good book. It's written by Helen Alvarez. Um, she wrote the first section in this book but it's actually, there's a section written by many different Catholic women um, throughout, our, throughout the country. And so the section that Kim Daniels wrote, she said in there, to engage the culture on the ground where we live means countering materialism with simplicity, transience with rootedness, and coarseness with self-giving love it means living lives of sacrifice and generosity, integrity and joy, and in doing so, quietly witnessing to our faith. That right there reminds me of my own mother's persona. Alice von Hildebrand is the author of Privilege of Being a Woman, and she said, that because a woman by her very nature is maternal, for every woman, whether she's married or unmarried, is called upon to be a biological, psychological, or spiritual mother. She knows intuitively that to give, to nurture, to care for others, to suffer with and for them, for maternity implies suffering, is infinitely more valuable in God's sight than to conquer nations and fly to the moon. St. John Paul II dedicated much of his almost 30-year pontificate articulating and defining the important role of women in the church. 
1995, then Pope John Paul II, for the occasion of the United Nations Conference on Women that was going to be held in Beijing, China, he wrote a papal document simply entitled Letter to Women. And it was a letter to all women, not just Catholic women, but to all women. In it he wrote, progress usually tends to be measured according to the criteria of science and technology. Nor from this point of view has the contribution of women been negligible. Even so, this is not the only measure of progress. Nor, in fact, is it the principal one. Much more important is the social and ethical dilemma, or dimension, which deals with human relations and spiritual values. In this area, which often develops in an inconspicuous way, beginning with the daily relationships between people, especially within the family, society certainly owes much to the genius of women. So despite a society that seemingly <clears throat> celebrates diversity in all areas except gender, no woman should view her femininity, her genius as a weakness or her existence as a problem, but rather a privilege, a strength, and a great responsibility to the future of our church. Von Hildebrand even says, women's influence on men is enormous when they truly understand their role and mission. Again and again, I hear priests say they owe their vocation to their grandmother or their mother. So here in this picture, you see St. Monica, and if you know her story, she spent innumerable amount of years praying for the conversion of her son. Her son did later convert and became a saint himself, St. Augustine. So if women are influencing men's vocations to the priesthood so profoundly, let's go back to the question of women and the priesthood. We all spend a lot of time and energy discussing this question. Why can't women be priests? But I would argue we are asking the wrong question. Rather than focus on the limitations that are set before us, I ask, why do we make it seem like the priesthood is the only true path to discipleship, influence, or power in the church? As Erica Bacchiocci, an author and pro-life feminist scholar says, I have no less authority than a priest as a baptized Christian. A priest has authority to represent Christ in a sacramental way, no question. And I have the authority to represent Christ in every other area of my life. She added that the focus on female priests can also take away from the good work that professional and religious women, women are doing within our church. And that's sort of a profound thought. We spend so much time talking about why can't women be priests, we're very much discounting all of the wonderful work that is being done by women in the church. So I'm gonna share with you a few examples. I want you to consider some strong women that we discount with our current way of thinking. We're going to start with my former boss. I'm the former executive director of communications and planning for the Archdiocese of St. Louis. 
In that role, I reported to Nancy Werner. She's the chancellor of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Nancy oversees the offices of the Archbishop, Communications and Planning, Natural Family Planning, the Catholic Renewal Center, archives, and other special events. Her sphere of influence is immense, so much so that when I did work for her, it sometimes felt like progress would halt when she would just take a vacation because she was the engine that kept that bus moving forward. Nancy continues to work tirelessly, tirelessly, day in and day out, serving our church for little to no recognition or praise. The next woman that I want to talk about is Teresa Ruzica. Teresa Ruzica is the president of Catholic Charities of St. Louis. Teresa is responsible for overseas St. Francis Community Services, St. Louis Counseling, Cardinal Ritter Senior Services, Good Shepherd Children and Family Services, Mary Grove, St. Martha's Hall, gotta take a breath because it's a lot. Okay, keep going, Queen of Peace Center and St. Patrick's Center. Let's talk about influence. I know you've heard of at least one of those ministries. Their impact on our community here in St. Louis is immense. You may not know this face or this name, but you should know a woman is driving that and having an enormous impact as it relates to the way that the church is serving our community. I'll move on. Sister Carol Kean, she's the president and CEO of the Catholic Health Association. She's a longtime advocate for the poor and an influential voice in increasing healthcare access for all. Sister Carol is going to be retiring at the end of June. She's gonna pass the reins. Guess what? Another woman. Sister Mary Haddad will be the president, she's the president and CEO-elect right now of the Catholic Health Association. Dr. Carolyn Wu, she's the president and CEO of Catholic Relief Services. But I'll go on. What about the secretary at your parish office who's dedicated 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years of her life to be the face of your parish, greeting guests, answering the phone, keeping the room reservations straight and probably cleaning the toilets, let's be honest, for your local Catholic community. Or the mother at your local parish raising her young children at home while running the PTO and volunteering in the school cafeteria and caravanning a group to pray outside Planned Parenthood and dedicating two hours to the Adoration Chapel each week. You know those women. You know who they are. Or the full-time working mother who's supporting her family's income while coaching her daughter's softball team, baking cupcakes for tomorrow's church bake sale, and reading Harry Potter with her son every night before bed. Super women are all around us. They're in this room having such an enormous impact on our lives, on our everyday lives and our community. Or think about the single woman who's an unwavering friend, mentor, and spiritual mother to countless people in her life, particularly during their time of deepest heartache or strain. You know who I'm talking about. These people are all around us. We couldn't survive without these women. The church couldn't survive without these women. 
The church is not a brick and mortar building. This is the church. Look around you. This is the church. And these women are helping keep the church alive. And in the words of Sister Sarah Butler, the goal of the Christian life is not to be a priest, but to be a saint. But we need to embrace the faith and works of the saints, like St. Catherine of Siena, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Teresa of the Cross, who's Edith Stein, St. Teresa of Calcutta, and so many other female, great female saints of our past who've influenced our world and left it a better place. Mary, the mother of God, is heralded by the Catholic Church as the single greatest human being that has ever lived. JP2 states in his letter to women, the church sees in Mary the highest expression of the feminine genius, and she finds in her a source of constant inspiration. Putting herself at God's service, she also put herself in the service of others, a service of love. Precisely through this service, Mary was able to experience in her life a mysterious but authentic reign. It is not by chance that she's invoked as the queen of heaven and earth, for her reign is to serve, her service is to reign. So that's what JP2 said in his letter to women about Mary. We could argue that there are a bunch of middle-aged white men in collars in charge. We could dwell on the fact that only three out of 15 of our local archdiocese and leadership are women. There's certainly more work to be done. I'm not gonna say there's not, but this is progress. And while we can probably all agree there should be more women's voices in the church, we should also look at the great influence we already play in the life of our church, domestically and spiritually. I would argue that women are the heartbeat of the Catholic Church. Kim Daniels is noted as saying women are the backbone of parishes, homes, and communities building up Catholic communities. And truly this role of selfless servant leadership is more in our nature. It is in a woman's nature to care more about relationships than process. It's more in a woman's nature to care about relationships than process. For example, as women, we have the honor and privilege of bringing souls into this world within our beings. When that responsibility is compromised through the pain of miscarriage, which I have unfortunately witnessed firsthand on three different occasions, it's the support of other women that's the lifeblood that keeps you going. It's the other mothers who empathize with you through the final weeks of pregnancy, dropping off surprise meals and setting up meal trains after the baby arrives while you're burdened by postpartum depression. It's those same women dropping meals when your grief is so thick from the loss of your second parent you can't fully process the ordeal of preparing dinner for your family. It's the girlfriend who rearranges her schedule and takes your kids at a moment's notice so you can go to an appointment 
or the one who drops an anonymous gift front porch, uh, a gift card for groceries on your front porch when you're struggling to keep afloat. The examples of how women naturally support one another and build up our community in a way that resembles Christ's love are endless. It is women who are bringing the example of Christ to this world in their everyday actions and love for one another. To be clear, my intention tonight is not to build up women as the sole contributors to the faith. Rather, it is to clarify how women's role is in no way inferior or superior to men. Humanity reaches its greatest moment when it realizes the equal importance and complementarity between men and women. Helen Alvarez, the woman who wrote this book, is a law professor at George Mason University and a consultant to the Pontifical Council for the Laity. She said at the 2016 Given Institute that collaboration among men and women is a good thing as teams of both genders are stronger. Going back to the feminine genius, women see the both and, while men see the either or. Being created in God's image, this shows that we have a reliance on one another. And in the freest societies, women typically choose to do the more feminine things. This includes staying at home with your children, um, teaching, working in medicine or social services quite often. JP2's letter to women says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him, Genesis 2.18. The creation of, women, of woman is thus marked from the outset by the principle of help, a help that is not one-sided, but mutual. When woman complements man just as man complements woman. Men and women are complementary. Womanhood expresses human as much as manhood does, but in a different and complementary way. When the book of Genesis speaks of help, it is not referring merely to acting, but also to being. Womanhood and manhood are complementary not only from the physical and psychological points of view, but also from the ontological. It is only through duality of the masculine and the feminine that the human finds full realization. So as the women in the room explore opportunities to accept this invitation to be a voice and embrace your femininity because women are the front lines, men, your role is to encourage and support the women in your life to seek out their mission with diligence and to be our co-collaborators for the most complimentary progress. Now ladies, if you're struggling to discover your gifts and how to give back, and I will say you all have gifts and you can all give back in some specific way. We all have gifts and talents. Consider resources available through Endow or the Given Institute, which is dedicated to activating the gifts of young adult women for the Catholic Church and the world. As we all work towards this goal of sainthood for ourselves and others, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that we are all in this together. 
we mustn't fall victim of what Kim Daniels calls a crisis of solidarity, which is much too familiar in our culture. Imagine the impact our church could have if we put our differences aside, traditional or liberal, no matter, and work together towards the common mission that we all uphold. If men appreciated the contributions of women and vice versa, if lay people appreciated the role of clergy and vice versa, if working women appreciated the efforts of stay-at-home moms and vice versa, if Catholics celebrated more of what unites us to our Christian brothers and sisters than what divides us and vice versa. The alternative is summarized well by English historian Arnold Toynbee's thesis. Civilizations primarily collapsed because of internal decline rather than external assault. Civilizations die from suicide, not murder. That's kind of powerful, but take a moment to think about it. Are we as a church our own worst enemy? What if we all just put our differences aside and work together? I think that says a lot right there. And while the feminist in me can sometimes desire my own success through my own independence and individuality that sets me apart, and honestly, guys, sometimes I really cringe at the notion of being called a stay-at-home mom. I don't know why. I shouldn't. I should be very proud to have the opportunity to be with my kids more. But it's based on perceptions that are stuck in my own head. I have found that my nature is to turn to my vocation in order to fulfill my mission in this life. And in my instance, that is marriage, motherhood, and service to the church. And now that I have embraced this calling, I realize this is the definition of truest success and happiness. And truly, the church does not hold us back. Rather, the church supports us in a way that brings us to our greatest fulfillment. And if you or someone you know doesn't see that right now, it's okay. The church will be waiting patiently for you to recognize she is not trying to hurt you, but rather form you into the best version of yourself. To be a saint, as any true caring mother would, our mother church. So what about you? What is your mission? As you work to identify your mission, here are some pro tips that I've adapted from Helen Alvarez's keynote at the 2016 Given Institute. Number one, thank God for your femininity. Don't apologize. Celebrate what you are, not what you are not or cannot be. So that brings me back to one of my favorite prayers, the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The second tip, pray to be enlightened about your particular calling and be patient with discerning God's will. 
think the patience is key. I didn't have it all figured out, and Lord knows I still don't. There are different phases of life that are going to call for different types of discernment. Life is a marathon. It's not a race. But through it all, just keep God close and allow him to guide your decisions in order to find the greatest peace. The next tip is to resist clericalism. We have to realize the greatest majority of the population is not called to be ordained to the priesthood. Thus, all lay people, men and women alike, can serve in many roles within church governance, diplomacy, journalism, law, diocesan or parish leadership, paid or unpaid, none of them counted as contributing a very high value to our church. Next, put your talents at the service of the church because the church needs women. And then finally, my favorite on the list, is practice sacrificial giving. Give more than you realize you have in you for the greatest fulfillment. Give more than you realize you have in you for the greatest fulfillment. I want to share a couple examples of that, personal examples. Last summer, about this time, I had just given birth to my last, my, my last child. He just turned one last week. I received a call from someone at our parish asking me to lead a table for our women's Bible study. I had signed up. I'd never gone before. I'd signed up because I wanted to participate. I didn't want to lead. I just wanted to go and be. But I said, okay, I'll pray about it. So I prayed about it, and I said yes. Wasn't quite sure why I said yes. I didn't really want to say yes, but I said yes. The result of that is that I met and created a unique bond with a table of fellow sisters in Christ who were present in the most difficult times. It's amazing how my yes to serve in this role as the leader of this table was preparing me for another moment of great trauma in my life, providing me the deepest support system during the unforeseen illness and swift death of my father this past December. You see, my dad had been merely existing since my mom died in 2010. I realize he's now in exactly the place he'd been dreaming to be for the past nine years, back in my mother's arm. And I absolutely find solace in knowing he's there, but it doesn't make it any easier for my two sisters and me. We're left to pick up the pieces. And I will tell you that this small group of women provided me with a level of love, care, and support that I never could have realized that I needed. One of them is here tonight, and I'm just not looking at you, Blair. <laughs> I thought that I was saying yes to help the parish in a moment of need. But my agreeing to serve provided me with strength in a moment of weakness. And God was preparing to help me deal with the grief of becoming an orphan before the age of 40. It certainly gave me 
the greatest fulfillment. Another example, agreeing to give this talk. <laughs> I'll be honest, Angela, I don't know where you went, but I received the call in a less than ideal moment. <laughs> That's how he works, right? God has such a sense of humor. My husband literally lost his job the same week I was asked to give this talk. And my mind was very distracted with practical needs such as paying the mortgage and having health insurance for our family of six. But they persisted. <laughs> I really, I wanted to say no. But this little voice inside my head compelled me to say yes. My practical mind again said, it's worth it because I'm helping out in a moment of need. Like this martyr, oh, poor me. They need my help again. <laughs> However, the clarity that I've received in my own vocation and mission through the preparation of these remarks was therapeutic. And while my husband's unfortunate turn of events professionally has been a personal blow to his identity, it's provided me the opportunity to reflect upon my role as his wife, to support and love him through this transition, one that we trust will land us in a much better place. God was once again present in that moment when I felt like I simply couldn't take on another thing. Yet I said yes. And what's one other great example but Mary's fiat? It was not ideal for Mary to say yes, but she did. She was younger than any of us in this room, but she answered God's call that surely stretched her beyond her understanding, but obviously brought her to her greatest fulfillment. Our mission is a lifelong effort that will evolve and we will always be looking to perfect. Three years ago, I reached a tipping point in my femininity. I was working in the leadership position at the Archdiocese of St. Louis. I was blessed to serve the local church in a very unique way. When I was hired, I was pregnant with my second child. So I had one, one kiddo, so I'm, I'm very pregnant going into my final interview with Archbishop Carlson, and he said, <laughs> you're lucky I'm pro-life. <laughs> but after five years in the role, after giving birth to my second and third child, which gave me three kiddos under six, six and under, and a job that required fairly constant attention to detail as I was responsible for all of the PR for the local church, all of the marketing, social media, website, publications, planning. It was a busy job. There's a lot going on. I realized I was no longer serving in a practical way. When I returned to work after maternity leave from my third child, something was missing. I lost my sense of fulfillment in that professional role. Despite the Archdiocese's efforts and true efforts to provide alternative schedules and workflow for me, it just didn't work. Part of it was culture. You know, it's, it's hard to try to make it work for these young working mothers. But ultimately, my heart was telling me to choose the better of two goods and to be more present to my family. A defining moment for me was when I found a bizarre amount of enjoyment 
taking a moment to watch my kids chase bubbles instead of chasing my own tail. It was then that I realized that the rush of life was making me miss what matters most. So there I was, a young mother, serving in an official professional capacity for the church, directly influencing her local voice. But I realized I could be of better use elsewhere and better serve the church from a different seat. And despite our Pinterest-influenced society that tells women that they need to do it all, be the best wife, be the best mother, be the best boss, have the cleanest house, all while maintaining the slimmest waist and the brightest smile, <laughs> I realized in prayer it was time to wave that white flag and admit defeat in order to win. I couldn't do it all in the way that our culture suggests. I had to let it go and allow God to define my future according to his will. I found particular solace with the words from Archbishop Carlson in a recent issue of Catholic St. Louis, which is our bi-monthly magazine. If you don't get it, you should sign up to receive it. It's a very good publication. He said, our first call as missionary disciples isn't necessarily to do more. Our call is to be more. This means avoiding the temptation to jump into mission without cultivating fertile ground in which to plant seeds of evangelization. When the soil is rich, the outward manifestations of our faith come more easily and bear greater fruit. And truly, ladies and gentlemen, God is not impressed by our busyness. Since leaving my role at the Archdiocese, I have launched my own consulting firm that allows me to assist mostly Catholic entities with their marketing in a more intimate and relational way, which I prefer as a woman. And I'm able to pick up my kids from school every day. And guess what? My house is cluttered. You can trip over toys, and my laundry's not always folded. But I'll tell you, there is the love of a family in that house. It's the best of both worlds, and it's what works for me in this phase of life. While it's the hardest job I've ever had trying to balance all of my responsibilities, it's the most fulfilling, and I feel my identity is clear. Plus, I'm able to take a breath every now and then and watch my kids chase bubbles. And I can only pray through my perpetual exhaustion that I am able to emulate my own mother and lead my husband and children to Christ the way she so selflessly did for the first 30 years of my life. It's not to say I'll never go back to full-time work outside of the home. It's something I've had to recently weigh very heavily due to unforeseen circumstances. But my point is you need to listen to your heart and identify your calling and in the words of Pope Francis, be joyful, be grateful, and be of use. So I'm going to conclude with these final words from John Paul II's letter to women. For in giving themselves to others each day, women fulfill their deepest vocation. Perhaps more than men, women acknowledge the person because they see persons with their hearts. They see them independently of various ideological or political systems. They see others in their greatness and limitations. 
They tried to go out to them to help them. In this way, the basic plan of the Creator takes flesh in the history of humanity and there is constantly revealed. In the variety of vocations, that beauty, not merely physical, but above all spiritual, which God bestowed from the very beginning on all, and in a particular way, on women. Just like my mom. So we'll conclude with this prayer. May Mary, Queen of Love, watch over women and their mission in service of humanity, of peace, of the spread of God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.